0: Welcome to Over the Rainbow, a safe space and voice for all queer identities. I'm your host, Rachel Keithley, and I use she, her pronouns. Every Wednesday, we bring you new episodes dedicated to queer representation, education and activism. Today's guest is Stuart from Rainbow Migration. Stuart uses he, him pronouns. Today, we are talking about the process LGBTQ plus folk go through when seeking asylum in the UK. Shamefully, the process here is near impossible, with those who do try to claim asylum being subject to awful living conditions whilst waiting for their claim and often being rejected and deported. This subject is an important one, but goes wider than just queer folks seeking asylum. Right now, with the Taliban taking over Afghanistan, many Afghans are trying to flee their country to seek safe refuge in the UK and elsewhere. So it is especially important that we do something about the abhorrent conditions and hostility they are met with once coming to the UK. We can do this by campaigning to allow refugees safe harbour into our country without these ridiculous red tape rules that you'll find out more about today. This episode is an insight into the importance of supporting refugees, both from Afghanistan and across the world in whatever way we can. Right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to Over the Rainbow.
1: Hiya. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? So your name, pronouns, a bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, I'm Stuart. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I am a support worker for LGBTQI people who are seeking asylum in the UK.
0: Amazing. And we are going to be talking about that more today. But before we do, let's get started by sharing something we've done this week to engage in queer activism or queer education. So do you want to go first or shall I? Uh,
1: You go first.
0: Sure. Okay, so this week I was visiting my friends down in Brighton. And for those of you who are not UK-based, this is a seaside town on the south coast of the UK, which is viewed as one of the most queer-friendly places in the UK. And I certainly felt that way when I was there. And Anyway, when I go on holiday, I like to have, like, my daily ice cream. It's just what I do. (laughs) And I found this awesome gelato place called Boho Gelato and not only is it an lgbtq plus inclusive business but it was actually pride weekend in brighton when i went so every single flavor they did was pride themed and one of them was this vegan chocolate orange ice cream where all the proceeds went to one of the people who worked at boho gelato it went to their top surgery fund so every single proceed from the ice cream and i thought like well not only am i supporting a queer friendly business here but I'm also actively donating to help someone with someone's gender affirming surgery so I thought that was really really cool.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah and the ice cream was delicious just to top it off. Good. <laughs> yeah. So what about you?
1: Um, I have had a few calls today with some of our service users uh, giving some emotional support and also trying to help one find a solicitor for their claim.
0: Amazing that's really cool and I bet that that's both challenging and rewarding work at times. I'm very sad that it's necessary, but...
1: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, so it is something we're gonna be talking about today. It's the fact that LGBTQ plus people have to seek asylum from their own countries. So to give the listeners a bit of a background, if they're not aware, why do people or why do LGBTQ plus people have to flee their countries and claim asylum?
1: Um, Well, many have to leave either because they're um, a lot of the time it's her family um, or wider society in the countries they live in do not approve of their sexuality or gender identity and they are they'll be threatened with death if they stay um, and so they need to leave and come to the UK or somewhere else.
0: Do you find that um, these queer people often come from the same sort of countries or is it sort of worldwide you serve many?
1: Yeah, it's many African countries, many Middle Eastern countries, um, Southeast Asia, South America as well. So, yeah, it's really across the globe. Then there there are people who have, um, like, suffered torture from their family or other people and have managed to get out and have managed to come here. And there's also people that might already be in the UK um, and they start living openly here. And then someone finds out either on social media or something like that. And then they start getting threats from back home. Um, especially if they're studying here as well and their parents are funding them. They get discovered, the funding gets cut off, they don't have anything to study here, their visa runs out here, and then they need to claim asylum.
0: It's just, and the, the piece you said about social media, it's, I mean, we know it's a force of good in many cases, and we also know that it's used for hate crime, but the fact that it's used to sort of track family members down so that even if you've left a country, you're still not necessarily safe, that's really scary.
1: Yeah. So if you're like tagged in a picture and it looks like you're around other queer people, maybe one picture you can explain away. But if there's a pattern and someone sees it, it gets shared around the family and people that you know, and then everyone finds out.
0: Yeah, that is. I mean, to even think that you have to live like that. And why why do you think it is that this is an issue that's not really spoken about? Because I mean, I've grown up in a relatively privileged position within the UK and that even if my family didn't necessarily approve, my life was never going to be in danger, although my family do approve, it has to be said. But why why is this not really spoken about beyond the circle of, say, the work you're doing?
1: I think, I think people are aware of wider issues facing LGBTQI plus people around the world, but I don't think people really put together the um, direct impact that close family and friends actually play in it, because I think a lot of it is you know i think we imagine that police might find you and then you might get arrested and put in prison which is a big bit of it but i think i think it's about 50-50 that it's the close friends and family that because of their beliefs either religious or social that it really is it's it's about um the honor of the family and there's no protection in the state so i don't I, do, I mean i think it's it's hard to imagine why it's not wider why it's not more widely reported
0: i guess I guess we all just live in our safe little bubbles, don't we? And like you say, we know we've probably all seen the pictures of the countries where the death penalty is enforced if you are LGBTQ+, but we may be often, some of us, not all of us, of course, but some of us may often take for granted the fact that your friends and family are just going to accept you by default, or at the very least, you're not going to be actively in danger from them.
1: Mm. And I think people... I think people are aware of like maybe certain countries where it happens but i think certainly when i talk to people about where where our service users come from they're often surprised that they're they're coming from brazil and el salvador and china like i think people just think of the the sub-saharan africa as the only one and it's our middle east and it's not
0: yeah a hundred percent like when you said brazil actually I mean, having done some research, I, it's not a surprise, but if you'd told me a year ago, it would have been, because, I mean, so, like, we've got the big Brazil carnival, which we know queer people actively perform in, participate in, et But, so, yeah, it's almost like you then take for granted the fact that, actually, there may be pockets of safe spaces, but they're not exclusive to the entire country.
1: Yeah, certainly.
0: So queer people have fled their countries and are wanting to Claim asylum. Can you talk about what claiming asylum means?
1: So, you can either claim asylum um, when you first get to the country and you can declare the border, I need to claim asylum. Um, But many people are often here for a long time before they do claim asylum, either because they're here on another visa or they simply just don't know that they can claim um, asylum based on their sexuality or gender identity until they're involved with the charity or until they get caught and end up in detention. They're not aware that it's something that they can do. Um, So, yeah, when you finally do claim asylum, uh, you'll have a short screening interview with the Home Office, um, which is just the basic reasons of of why you need to claim asylum. Um, And then you will wait for your longer interview. um, And the wait at the moment can be two, three years um, while you're still just in the process of claiming asylum. Um, It's highly recommended that you get a solicitor to help you with the claim because it's very complex law. Um, And in that time you try and gather gather evidence uh, to demonstrate that you are LGBTQI plus. And then after your screening interview and you've submitted all your evidence, you can wait another year or so or more for a decision on that. Um, And After that, you can get refused, which is quite a high proportion. The Home Office will just refuse saying, we don't believe you. Um, and then after that you can appeal you can go to court which again can just take another year or so Um, and if you win in court the home office can appeal and you can wait for another court date Um, or if you lose then you can appeal and wait for another court date and it can go up and down in the courts for years as well if everyone's still disagreeing so the process can go on for so long
0: there are so many like problematic points and like challenges and barriers to unpack that I guess The first one we'll start with is just the sheer length of time that this takes. Are you allowed, so if we're just talking about the UK specifically, are you allowed as an asylum seeker to stay in the UK while this process is going on?
1: Yes, they will not deport you while you still have an active claim. Um, But during that time, you could be held in a detention centre. But also during that time, you're not allowed to work. Um, Unless if you've been here for over a year, then you can, or your claim's been going for over a year. You can apply for permission to work, but that's only jobs that are on the shortage occupation list, um, which tend to be more highly qualified jobs. Of which, if you're from a country where the UK don't recognise your qualifications, you're not going to be able to do. Uh, You can't rent here, so you're dependent on either your friends and family or asylum support accommodation, and you're living on just under 40 quid a week if you do qualify for that support. And if you have any savings above like two or 300 pounds, the Home Office aren't going to give you accommodation or support until you've used that all up.
0: So essentially you're left?
1: Just on the, on the poverty line, really dependent and really without any idea of how long it's going to take.
0: Oh, my goodness. And I mean, this may be a bit of an assumption here, but is there often a language barrier as well when you're first coming over?
1: Uh, yeah, a lot of the time. Um, there are, I think, and I think that also depends on from which country you're coming from. As well, like if you're from a country where English is quite widely spoken, then you're you're going to be in a better position. But yeah, if, if you're from a country where English isn't widely spoken, uh, you can be dependent on uh, charities having interpreters to help you. And at the moment, we're we're very close to getting an interpreter service, but we don't have one at the moment because they are very expensive. Um, with solicitors, you can get and inter- they can claim for interpreters. Um, but yeah, if you're just trying to find out. For any help that's going on it can be very hard to get that if you don't speak english
0: you've just fled a country where your life is in danger and now you've got these barriers to face and one of them that really popped out to me was the fact that they're called detention centers like that very much sounds to me like you are being treated like a criminal or a felon
1: and and many people that i've spoken with they feel like they are being treated as if they are a criminal but it's even Like, obviously I don't think it's good to be in prison, but you know when you're getting out or you know how long your sentence is, With detention centers, it can be indefinite. And we're the only country in Europe that have indefinite detention as a possibility. So you could, even if you are only gonna be there for two months, you have no idea. So it can just feel like such a long time.
0: What's the sort of comparable situation like in other European countries? How do, do they deal with it better?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, most don't have detention centres like we do. And even if they do, there's a time limit on how long they can actually hold you and then they need to release you into accommodation, whereas we can just hold you in detention for years.
0: And I assume it's not like high quality five star Hilton Hotel.
1: No, detention is essentially, um, it's prison like.
0: Just the fact that we're even allowed to do that to another human being who's coming and trying to ask for help
1: yeah, they're completely just looked upon with suspicion. Um, and they're held. and especially if you're LGBTQI, you're being held with people who might be from the same country as you, who are claiming for different reasons, who are the exact people that you are running from. So you're likely to experience some kind of abuse if someone finds out uh, about your sexuality or gender identity, which I, and I think it's, no one, want, no one should have to hide but I think especially if um, for trans service users it can it, it could be so much more obvious straight away that you are trans there's there's no hiding, and the abuse can just come from the moment you set foot in there.
0: I keep thinking that like I can't be more shocked and then you share something like that and it's <laughs> it's terrifying, yeah, it's, isn't it?
1: It's really not not a good situation no.
0: and I remember one of the other things you mentioned is actually something that I think someone who's a justice of the peace had told me years ago, and it just like my mouth hit the floor because I was so shocked, is the fact that you have to get evidence to prove that you're LGBTQ+. A, why is that even a thing? And B, how is that even something that you can prove? What is it you have to get to prove that?
1: Well, it it can be very difficult, especially if you are in detention how are you going to meet people to socialize with how are you going to prove that you have a relationship with someone how are you going to engage with lgbt groups if you're just being held you're not going to have any of the evidence they need and their standard of proof is so high and it's getting higher with the new immigration bill as well so it used to be um what's it there's a reasonable chance there's a reason it's reasonable to assume that someone is lgbtqi plus whereas with the new immigration bill it's going to be you need to show that it's more reasonable than not that you are lgbtqi plus so it's just going up another level and they like a standard almost western story of coming out and identifying as lgbtqi plus like you got to a certain age you realize you had feelings then you had a partner and then all this happened whereas it's just not the way that everyone lives
0: well, not everyone even necessarily wants a partner. I feel like exactly. the last thing on my mind if I'm seeking asylum is like, oh, got to get myself into a relationship so I can prove I'm queer.
1: And even and if you're bisexual as well and you might have had a relationship with someone of the opposite sex and had children in your home country, the home office might look upon that as saying, well, we don't believe that you're gay because of this.
0: It's so ridiculous. It's like just turning it around and saying, oh, well, please, can you prove that you're cisgender and or heterosexual for me, exactly. please? Exactly. Like, they're yeah. like, but what? Why? How? How? Yeah, we've got this, like, the idea that relationships are the epitome of that anyway. It's just ridiculous.
1: And, yeah, even the way you present, they if you, if you are claiming to be a gay man, they are more likely to believe you if you are quite overtly camp, or if you're a gay woman, if you're more butch. If you come across in that standard, like, we don't believe that you're gay, you're straight acting or whatever, then they're less likely to believe you.
0: I mean, way to fuel the stereotypes, isn't it? Yep,
1: it's completely based on stereotypes.
0: Is this based in some kind of mad fear that there's going to be people claiming asylum who are not queer? Like, where is this coming from? I'm trying to think of, not that there's any justification, but I'm genuinely trying to think of one.
1: Um, it's just based on the hostile environment. That's, that's, it's throughout the whole of immigration in the UK and throughout all of asylum. It's not just LGBTQI plus as well. It's just making it so hard that they think people will stop trying, whereas people come here and they will think the UK is open and welcoming. And they get here and they realise this, the way they're being treated and they're shocked because obviously it's not advertised. You can't advertise to the world the UK is going to be really terrible for you. But when you get here, you are treated in that way. And many times they're just hoping that you might give up and leave, or they'll refuse you enough times and you'll end up getting deported back.
0: Just so we don't have to have any responsibility.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's like when the Syrian refugees were coming across during sort of the high points of ISIS's movement Mm -hmm. in Syria and like other countries were taking hundreds of thousands a week and then we were like, oh, we will take 30,000 in three years or whatever it was. And it was like, another country is taking that in a day.
1: Mm. And we haven't, we haven't met our quota at all. We're nowhere near.
0: That doesn't even surprise me. It's just this mentality that we are this. I mean, we put on a very different front, don't we? We're like, oh, we're so inclusive. We're very forward thinking. but
1: Unless if you're from another country then we don't want... But yeah, it's just based on that right-wing rhetoric that appeals to lots of people, I think.
0: Yeah. And the scaremongering that goes along with that when you see
1: exactly like there is no massive wave of migration coming here. It's just not true. The percentage of people that are seeking asylum here compared to the population is really tiny. That like even the amount of people that are coming on boats is enormous compared to how many people like the amount of people that are risking their lives and coming here is terrible. Because there are no safe routes to come here. You need to risk or you need to lie to get a visa and then claim asylum. Um, but yeah, it is that complete scaremongering appealing to the popular saying we're being overtaken. And it's just, it's not true. And it would never happen even if we were more open, even if we pleaded to the world send everyone here, the population wouldn't, it wouldn't have a dent. Yeah.
0: But again, another of those points where people just have the facts wrong, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what impacts has the pandemic had on LGBTQ plus people or people in general seeking asylum?
1: Uh, I think a massive increase in isolation, because I think if you, are, if you are coming here from another country, um, but you have people here who are, who have already set up a, like a community, then it can become, it's much easier to get integrated, to get safe housing and to live your life normally. When you're LGBTQI plus coming here, you don't have the people from your country here to support you because they're the exact people that you're running from. Um, And just not being able to meet new people, not being able to get involved in groups, um, like, and, and lots of people are just coming here alone and they've been completely cut off from all of their family and a lot of their friends as well. Some people have lost all of their friends um, once they've been discovered to be LGBTQI. Um, So yeah. And with, with the pandemic, of course, nothing's open in person we're still we're still not open in person we're still doing everything over the phone and email and zoom um and yeah there's just sort of there's no respite from just that isolation and loneliness which i think was already massive in the lgbtqi plus community which has just completely been exacerbated in the pandemic
0: and what effect i assume it's had quite a big effect on people who haven't even started the process you know countries just shut their borders was there at one point in like the midst of the pandemic, just no one even managing to get to the country to claim asylum?
1: Oh yeah, there, uh, yeah, there was obviously with with all the flights and stuff stopped, but people people were still coming over and people were still claiming asylum, but certainly the numbers dipped,
0: which is terrifying because if you think you've managed to find a small space of time in your own country to flee, and then you're blocked at the airport because the pandemic's going on, it's like where where are you going to go? And you've already mentioned that many don't know that they can claim asylum based on their sexuality or gender identity why is it that people don't know this is it just not widely advertised
1: yeah I think it's not widely advertised I think it's just not something that they would have been aware of in their in their own country anyway with it being criminalized and I think people do have this view of asylum as like I I need to come from somewhere that's war-torn or I need to have been actively pursued by the state in some way um, so yeah I think it's just something that people don't don't really think of or or aren't even comfortable to talk about um so you might do your first you might claim asylum initially based on a fear of persecution because of your political beliefs or, activi- or um, activities um and that might get refused and then they'll be having a conversation with their solicitor or someone else a while down the line and it will finally come out that they're gay um, or LGBTQI plus and it would just be something that they never realized like because they, I think a lot of the time you think you already have a valid claim, you are already under threat of persecution, it's just not something that would cross your mind, that why would my sexuality or gender identity be more important in this way than my political beliefs or previous experiences, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just this strange list and hierarchy of things that our country and I guess other countries have that are, these are the reasons you can claim asylum. Um, so what do you do at Rainbow Migration to support LGBTQ plus asylum seekers?
1: Um, so as a support worker, it's mostly emotional support, which is all uh, remote at the moment. Um, and we also run uh, support groups, uh, which are on Zoom. Um, and we also have a, a legal advisor um, who can talk them through their cases, give them all the information they need to know. And then we can help them find a solicitor if they're in London. We can make referrals for them. Uh, we can also help with different issues around there, like accessing health or safe housing. Um, but yeah, the majority is is definitely just speaking to them, just being there as someone to talk to.
0: Because I imagine it must be so scary not knowing if your going your claim's going to be rejected and you're potentially going to be deported. And when when that does happen, because I'm under no illusion that this, this obviously happens when you are deported back to your home nation as it were are you just left with nothing just like get on the plane see you never sort of thing
1: yeah you are just process the other end and that is it
0: and there's no no follow-up no are they safe
1: no not at all
0: oh my goodness it's not the
1: UK's problem anymore
0: well that's their motivation isn't
1: it yeah exactly
0: um are you allowed as asylum seeker if you've been deported are you allowed to claim again in the uk or would you have to go elsewhere
1: it would be very hard to come back um yeah it'd be very hard to enter the country if you've been a refused asylum seeker um if you do manage to get back here you can claim again but you sort of you would need either more evidence or another aspect to your claim for them to consider it um but even with the new immigration bill coming through that would be even harder um, because they would take a look at your claim and decide within the first look if it's even worth them letting you claim asylum. So you could just get instantly refused and then deported again in a, in a matter of like weeks, it seems like it could happen.
0: So what are some things that we as natives of Britain and just good human beings do to help asylum seekers?
1: Um, I think we need a change in government. I think is the only real way that we're ever going to get any action um I think there's great charities um, that connect people in communities where you can offer your home for somewhere for someone to stay if they if they don't have access to safe accommodation then if you've got a spare room and you don't mind having someone there for a short period of time then you can certainly do that but also that's that's quite a big thing for many people to do to welcome someone into their home to even have that spare place to welcome someone into their home and do that um you can donate to the charities that are that are supporting refugees and asylum seekers but i think the only big change is going to come when society when government changes
0: yeah we need better attitudes in charge
1: Mm, absolutely yeah
0: what are some resources either for lgbtq plus asylum seekers or just people wanting to know more about these services that you can share so that we can all go support
1: Uh, I can send you some links. And there's there's a list of uh, different organisations on our website that support LGBTQI plus asylum seekers.
0: Amazing. And obviously yourself at Rainbow Migration. (laughs) Yeah. Is there any other message or key facts you'd like to share on queer asylum and immigration that you feel like people need to know?
1: When people think about asylum, they sort of think of the negative things that happened before they came to the UK. And people aren't really aware of how bad it can be once you're already in the uk so even if you are in housing and um, home office accommodation it could be the same issues that you might face in detention that you're living with people who are homophobic transphobic biphobic that yeah the quality of housing is certainly not good most of the time um the fact that people are living on 40 pounds a week um and even problems accessing health services like gps GP surgeries can, can be great and know the rules properly and know that they just need to register someone as a patient. But many patients just get turned away because they don't have the necessary documents to register there, even though by law you don't need those documents to register there. But they only learn that when they get involved with a charity like us that tells them, no, actually, this is the law. You need to do this. Um, even the fact that people can't open bank accounts or is a real struggle to open a bank account here um, if you do have permission to work yeah, if you don't have permission to work, you're not going to be able to open a bank account. Even they, they switched over the way that people um, can access their money this year. They have something called the Aspen card, and they changed provider. And the delays in people getting support was weeks. And even though they said you can get emergency cash payments, some places weren't giving out cash, so people didn't have anything. And I think, um, especially during the pandemic, more and more people have been in hotels, Uh, for longer periods of time while they wait for housing to come available because no one was being evicted during the pandemic. Uh, They would only get um, something like eight pounds a week um, and the rest that like food and essentials would be provided by the hotels. And every single person I spoke to, I I knew they were going to say the food here is inedible. It's the same thing every day. I feel unwell. Like, I think, yeah, it's just the standard daily treatment of people in the UK while you're seeking asylum is just so it's so tough and it takes such a toll on mental health that I think people don't really understand how how big an impact being in the UK also has on their mental health as opposed to what they experienced before they came here.
0: Which is a terrifying thought when you thought you were coming here for a better life. I mean if this isn't a call for action I don't know what is for the rest of us to oust those whose attitudes are disgusting and do whatever we can to help because i mean all you have to do is think about if you were in their shoes and their position you would want someone to help you when not even not even as serious as if your life is on the line just if 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 people are discriminating against you for your gender or your sexuality you would want help and a safe place
1: yeah completely i think i think it's just it's i, I think our activists are just the most incredible People who have already endured so much, and then can go through this system for years, and still have hope, and still work towards it, even with degrading mental health and physical health a lot of the time, and still push on. I think it's. I think they're just absolutely inspirational, incredible people.
0: The resilience of some people is
1: it's amazing, and I yeah I I don't, I, I would be absolutely terrified to seek asylum in a place like this having worked in it
0: is shameful when we think that we are one of the most forward-thinking liberating equal societies in the world yeah well thank you so much for this today I personally have learned a lot and I think I think we've given a lot of people a, a lot of food for thought and a lot of reflection and certainly a lot of directions we can go in to help support lgbtq plus asylum seekers so thank you for taking the time to do this and thank you so much thank you for the work you're doing as well thank you so much for listening today new episodes are available every wednesday so please do download share and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing if you have any questions or feedback please contact the podcast on social media we are on instagram at at underscore over the rainbow podcast twitter at over rainbow pod and Facebook at Over the Rainbow Podcast 13. Have a queer week, and I'll see you next Wednesday.